truck and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Dace Show. And greetings. Happy Friday. Welcome to the Steve Dace Show. Live and on demand, but not all that much in demand here. At the Blaze Radio, TV, and Podcast. 888-900-3393 is the number here. At the Blaze, 888-900-3393. You can also like us on Facebook, which doesn't like us. Now I've got people emailing me telling me, you know, every time I log on to your page, I have to click like again. Huh. Uh, you can also follow us uh, on Twitter at Steve Dace Show, and the last name is spelled D-E-A-C-E. It is a Friday, so normal Friday business here. We'll have the Dace Group in just a matter of moments. Uh, Also, some Feedback Friday, where we respond to your responses to us. That's coming up a little bit later on as well. Woke up this morning to the news uh, that uh, Eric Erickson over at The Resurgent, uh, co-founder of Red State, got banned from Twitter. Or Is it a ban or a temporary suspension? I've seen both. Okay, uh, but the, the eventually reason, it'll be an accident that we did not intend to happen. <laughs> yeah. The reason why is he was mocking Elizabeth Warren's wealth redistribution scheme, and he 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 gave it a name whose acronym is Wampum. <laughs> yes, yeah, which that. is very funny, yeah. very funny actually, and uh, clever too. Yes. Uh, and Twitter banned him for their terms of service, and in the email they sent him, uh, which he posted on his website. Uh, they they said it, it, it. They have a ban against mocking people for their national origin. <laughs> well, the problem is Elizabeth Warren admittedly lied about her national origin. So how can you be banned from mocking someone's national heritage they've already been exposed as a liar about? And in a totally separate story that ties into this, she did a radio interview with a lefty this morning. Yep. The Breakfast Club. Who just trashed her for culturally appropriating Native American heritage. Called her the original Rachel Dolezal. Yes. Yes. The same day that this happens. So here's the thing. Whether it's the Disney conversation we had a couple of days ago, uh, these social media networks, we're in an era now where a lot of corporate America wants to weaponize the money that you spend with them against you. And here's one way you can fight back. You can't live in America nowadays without a mobile phone. It's just impossible to do it uh, if you're going to be a part of a connected society. And when all of these networks are pretty much all the same, they're even putting that in their ads, really the only thing that it separates uh, them from each other is what they do with your money, where they spend it after you spend it with them. And that's where our friends at Patriot Mobile come in. They're the only veteran-led conservative mobile phone company. And with plans for just $25 a month starting out, why wait to make the switch? Instead, have and work with a company that supports uh, entities and values that you support, like Alliance Defending Freedom um, or uh, PragerU, which they're also uh, trying to ban. If you want to make the switch, call 1-800-A-PATRIOT. Use promo code BLAZE when you call in. 1-800-A-PATRIOT, and they'll uh, waive your activation fee. Or you can just go to the website, patriotmobile.com slash blaze, patriotmobile.com slash blaze. And now, it's time for the Dace Group. Your weekly look at the week that was. Todd is here. Aaron is here. There is our... Fourth contestant this morning, our good friend Shannon Joy, New York talk show host. Ladies and gentlemen, let's get to issue one, bleep 
Democrats say. I mean, to be totally honest, I'm sure I'm not the first person to say this, but like if men had their periods, it would be like celebrated. You know, it would be like a holiday. They would get the week off of work and probably the week before and then like the four days after their period ends so that they could recover. I, it would just be a different, it would just be a different, <laughs> different experience. Two cent wealth tax on the top one tenth of one percent, your 50 millionth and first dollar. you got to pitch in two cents and two cents for everyone after that. Still surprised at how many people are just so mad at Washington and they don't care. And they plan on voting for him. Yeah. They don't care what he does. They just are mad at Washington. It's still there. Uh, Brett Stevens, well, thank you. I, by, yeah. by the way, by the way, Mika, yeah. a lot of those people that still say that, mm -hmm. they're white. Two-cent wealth tax. And with that, we can cancel student loan debt for about 95% of the people who have it. It's right but yes, he can be beaten, and I hope he will be beaten, or else it's the end of a democracy as we know it. Two-cent wealth tax. We can also provide universal, tuition-free, technical school, two-year college, and four-year college for every one of our kids. Act now or lose our democracy forever. That is the choice before us. Two-cent wealth tax. We can do universal child care for every baby age zero to five. I mean, you're saying, it sounds like you're saying House Speaker Nancy Pelosi is not being patriotic. Is that right? No, I'm, not necessarily. I think, you know, you can be patriotic in different ways, but if, if you're going to say whether going for impeachment is patriotic or not going for impeachment is patriotic, I think going for impeachment is. Universal pre-K for every three-year-old and four-year-old in this country. Testosterone also isn't the only predictor of how someone is going to perform. It's about doing your best. So, so are and you all saying what well, athletes want to do is do this. their are, best. Are you, and raise the wages of every child care worker and preschool Senator. teacher to the level. You know what's going to happen. Why should another white guy be president? Well, a white guy who doesn't see other identities or understand other experiences should not be present. I do. Lots of families do have to make that decision based on the single characteristic of finding out that their children, that their fetus has a severe abnormality. When Facebook refused to take down a fake video of Nancy Pelosi, it wasn't even a close call. The video is sexist trash. We need to innovate on our technology. You know, obviously, like I had a Stafford, you know, Lisa Dawkins talked about cow flatulence, but... Um, which is an issue, I just want to say. And the Day Screw Roundtable brought to you by Real Estate Agents I Trust, a company started by Glenn Beck and his associates several years ago. Tired of real estate agents who talk a good game, but then don't deliver the desired results when needed the most. If you are entering into the murky waters of the real estate uh, market, you want a real estate agent that you can trust, someone who has a proven track record uh, of navigating those waters successfully, uh, someone that um, you know you get along with, that who's personable, returns calls. I mean, it's a it's a stressful process. You're going to have to work closely with this person. If there's a rapport, it just makes it even less stressful than it already will be. And then someone who understands the outliers. Data matters, but you can't. You got to go beyond the algorithms to look at the details. If you want an agent that checks all three of those boxes, no matter where you live, within the sound of my voice here in the United States of America, go to the website, realestateagentsitrust.com, 
realestateagentsitrust.com. All right, let's get to it. Uh, it's our weekly rendition of Bleep Democrats Say. Shannon, ladies first, you get the first question this morning. What was your favorite example of cray-cray from the Democrats on the campaign trail this week? Well, Steve, I have to go with Busy Phillips because there's nothing better than <laughs> legislative advocacy in a Valley Girl accent. And I feel like if every one of their quotes was done in a Valley Girl accent, then it would actually accurately describe the merit of their positions. Steve, sorry. I, I want to be gagged with a silver spoon uh, right now. Shannon, right now, as a matter I've, of fact. I've never been more. And it's fun to do a Valley Girl accent. So, <laughs> sorry. That's that's literally your best moment ever on this yeah. show. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> Not saying there haven't been other good moments. No. So the bar is low. I'm just saying wherever the bar is at, that you cleared it the highest right there. Absolutely. Thank yes. you very much. Yes. Much Todd, Todd, your favorite. Well, overall, this is the first time since we've been doing this that in this moment I'm like, oh yeah, voting Trump. Like the other ones are like, it, and it's so. It's like how you get me on a certain day i think it's all of us when we've just had it and we can't take it anymore but yeah i mean guys are you guys are crazy and the the best one for me is joe scarborough because you're white i mean and the can, his enunciation too oh yeah it, if you reverse it because you're black because you're brown right because you're whatever and I mean, how it, napalm you're right. would explode. Well, you're exactly there. Again, we don't believe in fallacies, philosophical fallacies on our show. We believe in the laws of philosophy on this program. And so the law, one of the laws of philosophy, how do you know if your argument is a fallacy or not? If one assertion side of the assertion is true, the opposite side of the assertion must also be true. Otherwise, you're arguing what's called a fallacy. So if it's true, therefore, that the only people that are frustrated with Washington are frustrated with Washington because they're white. Then for that to be true, Joe Scarborough is then also therefore saying that if you're totally fine with everything that's not getting done in Washington and all of the corruption and all of the lies, then uh, it, uh, black people, brown people, not all non-white people are fine with the corruption in Washington. He that, that that's that is that's that's not even an implication. He is directly claiming that. Yes. Todd. For if otherwise, what he is claiming on the other end is simply just you know a race baiting fallacy, which is more than likely what it is. Oh, it is. And I forget, buckle up because it is it is going to be a war up until the election takes place. And who knows what happens thereafter? Uh, you, if they are being that cavalier uh, and predict this for a long time, uh, they will be that cavalier. Uh, th- there's there is no hold bar. They are coming after everything that you care about, you believe in, in whatever they de- way they deem necessary to do so. If you don't understand that by now, you will also deserve what you're going to get. Here's the thing with that: if they do do that, I don't believe there's any way they will win. I mean, I, I mean, I, I mean, we could have we could have 4K video of of Donald Trump saying to Michael Cohen, I want you to go down to Congress and lie. And he's not going to lose. And the reason why is because the the voting block that they can win over are people that want to get off the crazy train. There's a There are scores of people who ideologically may view themselves slightly left of center, slightly right of center, what have you, that would just like to get off the crazy train. And if you can pin it on Trump, if you can create the message that Trump is the reason everything was fine, you want to return to normalcy, basically, Warren Harding, all right? They, they give a place for those voters to look beyond ideological differences and just say, you know what? I just want to adult again. 
I, I don't want to care what the president tweets at 6 a.m. I don't I don't want to know what we, what the hell happened with the USS McCain. I need to even know we had a damn USS McCain. Okay, I just I don't care. I want this to end so I can go on with my life and enjoy some more Pleasant Valley Sundays. They can win that election. There are scores of persuadable voters in that realm. But if they're going to run on you, if you only disagree with me because you hate gays and, and people that aren't white, there is no way they're going to win. I mean, and I don't care what the economic rate is. I don't care what the price of gas is. I don't care what the unemployment rate is. I don't care if Trump's tariffs slow down the economy. They're never going to win that because they won't create a path for the pers- those voters that agree with that. They have all of those voters already. They need to create a path and a message for the voters that can be still persuaded. And the voters that can be persuaded, they don't want to exchange Trump's cray-cray for that cray-cray. All right? They won't do that. I, I hope you're right, but I think the fact that we're going to talk about what, we t- what we're going to talk about in the second issue, and I'll just leave it at that, means that we're not 100%. It's how you fight back. If you just sit there and take it, progressivism, the slippery slope, is, we are here where we are because we just kind of said, well, I don't know. It seems like we can kind of But we've work. never come here to this point before. But we never have come there to that point before. Agreed. I, so, I, I agree with that. Aaron, smell your own. Yeah. Uh, so it is the managing editor of Outsports, which is um, a, a blog, a, a part of the SB This actually Nation. exists? Yes. Well, it's part of the SB Nation uh, is network, it? which is the largest free sports blog network in uh, in the country. Pardon me, I'm going to be cutting myself. Yes. Okay. <laughs> and uh, it's actually on. Did you know that SB Nation, the entire, all of those blogs are owned by Vox? It's, it's a true why story. Am, why am I not surprised? Yeah. Um, okay. But uh, his name is Don Ennis. That was a dude in that clip saying that testosterone uh, testosterone is not the biggest indicator of how athletes will perform. And then he goes on to say... Then why, that, is, why are testosterone injections yeah. a banned substance yeah. in any athletic endeavor? Yeah. Uh, and then he goes on to say, uh, transgender athletes just want to do their best. That's what this is all about. Oh, okay. Um, a Jennifer <sighs> Lawrence much? Scale of one to 10, exit question. With one representing Lindsey Graham's T-level, always and forever. And 10 being Ilan, the rage of Ilan Omar's anti-Semitism. How would you rate this week's level of crazy, Todd? I want to leave a little room, but this is the first time I've even come close to this number. I'm going to be a nine. Wow. That might say more about where I'm at See, today. you know what's weird is I actually thought... Yeah, watching it by this by no, what we've talked about this is actually except for the out sports thing i didn't know existed yeah. the rest of it i just thought i was actually kind of relieved hey elizabeth warren's just back to nanny state government stuff that we've been debating all of my career i didn't think this was that particularly crazy but you're over there literally shattered <laughs> so you never know when someone's breaking that, point well, these days is the, the trans thing and the girl sports that hits very close uh, to you know what there i can i can see that I, given what's going on in your family i can see it aaron four shannon give it a five i think i'm desensitized to most of it oh yeah that could be possible for me too let's get to issue two the way forward a debate of sorts kicked off this week when author Sorab amari wrote a column at first things called against david frenchism and despite the personalities involved it's really not about personalities at all Amari details in his piece why he believes the political and cultural engagement philosophies espoused by French and many like him are off target for what the present cultural situation warrants. I believe Amari's main beef with Frenchism, as he calls it, comes in his piece when he says, quote, French is, in effect, telling the cultural revolutionaries, we will grant your autonomy in the neutral institution. Won't you grant us ours? 
Though culturally conservative, French is a political liberal, which means that individual autonomy is his lodestar. He sees, quote-unquote, protecting individual liberty as the main, if not sole, purpose of government. Here's the problem. The movement we're up against prizes autonomy above all, too. Its ultimate aim is to secure for the individual will the widest possible berth to define what is true and good and beautiful against the authority of tradition. Only the libertines take the logic of maximal autonomy, the one French shares, to its logical terminus. They say, in effect, For us to feel fully autonomous, you must positively affirm our sexual choices, our transgression, our power to disfigure our natural bodies, and redefine what it means to be human, lest your disapprobation make us feel less than fully autonomous. End quote. In other words, Amari believes the ideology driving French and others isn't equipped to handle the scourge of progressivism, and it blinds them to the realities of the prevailing cultural force which seeks to destroy him and anyone like him. At the very least, removing all the names and personalities, this debate over recognizing who our opposition really is and what the correct response in light of that is at the heart of whatever was, is, or will be what's left of conservatism. All right, so let me phrase the first question here from a devil's advocate perspective, since David's not here uh, to defend himself, okay? Um, David French of National Review, he's sort of become the poster child for the Surrender Caucus today. Uh, however, he's also a man that has fought for his country. Uh, he's battled for our, our liberties in court. He used to be a, a judicial advocate for religious liberties. He used to do what Ted Cruz used to do before he became a, a member of uh, the Solicitor General of Texas. Um, he has stood up. He even stood up last week and in recent weeks for the principled pro-life legislation other celebrity conservatives have run from. All right. So playing some devil's advocate here, while we have certainly had our differences with him in recent years on this show, uh, I've, I've aired them. Uh, Aaron... Is triggered David, by the name David Frenchman bad for me. Yeah, yeah. Aaron is triggered. At least he owns it. He admits it. Okay. Um, uh, I also don't understand how you can claim to go for a higher road in politics while also advocate uh, Mitt Romney as a man of political courage. That makes no sense to me. Okay. But is he at least being somewhat unfairly criticized here, Todd? No. But I, I, I don't, this wasn't some uh, bomb against the man's uh, character or his dignity or any of his past. I'm not saying that's, I'm glad you pointed out everything. It's, it, it's, this is an extension of the most, and Aaron alluded to it, of the most important conversation we're having these days. Uh, Josh Hammer got involved in it. Uh, Tucker Carlson, we brought him up uh, multiple times. Uh, this, this is about the fundamentals, the a priori principles that must drive us to have a country worth having. And David French takes uh, umbrage with a lot of people, and the, no matter what we think of him. He's not alone. That, he, he represents, there's yeah. about half of the people we're talking about work at National Review, basically. Yeah. All right, uh, Ramesh, um, I'm going to butcher Pernero. his life. He would, would be in this kind of camp, don't you think? Okay. I think so. All right, okay, but go ahead. Because I want to make sure we don't just put a singular focus on yeah. him, because he's not alone in no. this viewpoint. Okay. No, don't. It, it, he's a brilliant writer. No, no one can take that away from him. Which is why he's probably being targeted the most. He's he is that good at um, uh, uh, rhetoric in in the written form, and quite frankly, in, in uh, public as well. But he's not. 
he's not being disparaged as an individual, but the, the, he needs to be taken to task. Iron sharpens iron, just like everybody else. And I hope this is a conversation does not stop here. We don't go into silly tribalisms. And Agreed. These these guys just these guys actually responded to one each other, one another respectfully, and most other people that I've seen have done so uh, as well. I've probably read his stuff in the last five or six years, as 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 much as you know anybody other than people that have endorsed, mm-hmm. you know, my books in recent years. And what I find with him is he perfectly diagnoses the situation. Even in the era of Trump, the way we're, that we've even complained on this show, the, the watering down of our mm-hmm. own standards. That when his, his observations, I almost never disagree with. And he eloquently and brilliantly puts them. When we get to, so what are we going to do about it? It's, it's, it's often the, well, we're going to kvetch. Yeah, why can't it's We're a version of why can't we all just get along? Yeah, that's no, that the bullies love that the bull the bullies love it when you leave it right there because they will return and punch you again and again and again and knowing that that's all you've got and it does yes he served his country and all that but sooner or later you have to realize the the public space issue they won't share it with you. You Aaron, have got I'm to sorry. get that through your head. Good pregnant pause there. You fooled me. All right, Aaron, go ahead. <laughs> um, I, I want to reiterate the, the bias that I come in um, that, that was mentioned by Steve a little bit ago. I just have kind of a visceral emotion. I, it just It's a bias that I have. It's it's I was born this way, apparently. Uh, but I want to reiterate <laughs> that because I, I do have I, I have had I do have a visceral reaction a lot of times with his um, with his solutions to his diet. They always end with it's too bad. This is going on. But yes. There's nothing we can do. Yeah. yeah. And, and and that's that this this piece has. But but that 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 bias actually has stemmed from something that's not visceral, visceral, and that's not emotional. And this piece actually put words and actually ideology. So it helped it's helped me to think through a little bit better without that emotion and without that bias uh what my core i think disagreement or dislike uh of david french is and others like again i i don't like the way that this was titled david frenchism because that just puts personality on it and it's hard to cut through that sometimes yeah but this um this goes to the core and again i said it in the in the in the the, the setup to this we cannot ever figure out what our response or what the way forward here is if we do not understand who our opponent is and who our enemy is. I think David French and others like him exist in a world where they see the classical political liberals, not classical liberals, but plas- classic political liberals hmm. who, are, who essentially say um, the government should allow you to do what God says is bad. They see those as the opposition. Us here, I think for the most part, we would see progressives as the opposition who are the people who say we want the government to force you to believe or do mm-hmm. what God says is wrong. That is the fundamental disagreement. That is the fundamental crux of our disagreement with French and others like him, is that we cannot agree, and we don't agree, on who our enemy is and who our opposition is. And when we can't do that, you're never going to be able to come to a solution, um, uh, uh, you know, an actual consensus of what to do in light of who the enemy or who the opposition is. And that's, that, I think that is the disagreement. Who is our opposition? Shannon, your thoughts. I was a little confused by this piece because so Rob uh, entitled it, uh, you know, it was about Jeffrey Frenchism and, and the way it was set up, the way that I read it, it was set up to, well, Jeffrey French is David French. You mean David French. I'm sorry. David French. Sorry about that. 
Um, you know, he's the he's the poster boy for the never Trump movement. And if we really want to battle the cultural revolutionaries, well, then we need to em embrace the tactics of the pro Trump movement. Right. And it sets up this binary choice again. If so, Rob is concerned about the cultural revolutionaries that are taking over our country. He needs to get out of Washington, D.C., talk, stop talking about national figures like Trump versus French and understand that the revolutionaries are in his local town, his local village, his local school, and they're organizing. The era of, of us coming together as conservatives and asking political figures in Washington, D.C. to save us culturally is over. We're not even winning on that front with President Trump. You'll notice that transgenders are still in the military. They still have the transgender training in the United States military. Yeah, you're they still subsidizing uh, their uh, them getting their uh, twigs and berries cut off. Yes. Yeah. And we are subsidizing that. So the idea that, well, in order to beat the cultural revolutionaries, we have to become pro-Trump, that's bull. Trump isn't doing anything to advance this issue. In fact, if anything, he's embracing the LGBTQ cause, uh, you know, by making that a number one priority in, in battling anti-LGBTQ sentiment in the Middle East. He just did that a few months ago. So that's bull crap. If we want to start battling the revolutionaries, we need to understand that we need to start organizing and activating at the local level. Saul Alinsky understands this. Bill Clinton understood it. Barack Obama understood it. Hillary Clinton understood it. And Tip O'Neill, who said all politics is local, understood that. We don't get that as conservatives. We continue to focus on national issues, national politicians, and, and lining up behind them when we are missing the entire battle, which actually is quite fun to wage on the local level. I do it all the time with my friends, and we actually win. But uh, so the piece, I don't know. I, I don't know what it, it, it just it, to me, it, it was um, I don't know. It, it just set up the, the false binary choice again that I don't buy. You know, I, I, I sort of agree with her having read it through it again. And I would be someone who would, would would have the same criticisms of David Frenchism that so Rob has. But too much. The reason I didn't enter into this fray when I've been having this argument, Todd, you've been around this show. How many years we were having this argument long before the rest of these guys got into this. Mm -hmm. Okay. The reason why I didn't enter into this phrase, it kind of just struck me as I, I want my never Trump vote, non-vote to be justified versus I wanted my 2016 Trump vote to be justified. All right. And, and the way these, these camps go back and forth at each other on social media, still three years later, it's, it's just like, let it go. You know, I mean, I, I, I wanted my decision not to vote for Trump justified versus so I'm better than you. And uh, I didn't vote for a, such a flawed man. Well, I got my hands dirty in order to, you know, to fight the culture war. So I'm better than you. And I want my Trump. That's how it struck me, even upon a second reading. That doesn't mean I don't think this is a valuable debate. I just don't believe it's the debate we're actually having. I think I think most people think they're having this debate that are having it. But mostly what they're really having is justify my non vote for Trump or justify the fact that I voted for Trump. It's the same argument we had in 2016. We've just changed some of the nomenclature. Uh, I think it's fundamentally more than that. I, I think it is... Of, Quickly. I, I think it's of the type of... of do, you know, when do your neighbors decide that the ones that tolerated you in some way, shape, or form for a long time decide they're going to round you up and turn you into camps? I agree with that. We have got to realize that, and that's the fundamental point. I, I agree, I agree with that. I think where this loses that point is when this whole thing becomes again about Trump. As Shannon pointed out. But you know what? I'm glad we're having the conversation. Yes. I don't want to shut it down either. It's long overdue. 
All right, exit question. Post-Trump, who do you believe is better positioned to chart the way forward for conservatives? The likes of French, the likes of Franklin Graham, none of the above. Way too early to tell. Quickly, Todd. None of the above. Shannon? None of the above. Aaron? None of the above. Hey, if you're like millions of Americans that are uh, fighting a losing battle against chronic pain in the body, it's because you've got to fight the battle against the inflammation in your body that's causing that chronic pain in the first place. And that's where Relief Factor comes in. It's physician created, but 100% drug free. You know what that means? It means uh, folks who are licensed to prescribe drugs realize, you know what, we got to come up with some long-term natural solutions that put uh, the body's God-given healing powers in the inflammation area to work. And so they came up with these four key natural ingredients that help your body Body, win the fight against inflammation. I am the latest of numerous success stories we've had here at The Blaze using this product uh, in recent years. I, I rave about it. I use it every single day. Uh, I would urge you to give it a shot. It's only $20 to try it for three weeks. So a dollar a day. That's it. It's called the Starter Kit. They offer this just to get you started. And most people see such great results or encouraging results in those first three weeks that they end up sticking around uh, on a regular basis. So if you want to try this for a dollar a day, for the next three weeks, what have you got to lose? Except hopefully, maybe finally the pain, all right? Go to relieffactor.com. Again, the website, all one word, relieffactor.com. All right, we've got two issues down, uh, two more to go. When we come back, this is an issue that I think is not as cut and dried because it delves into, well, what do we do with former Confederate uh, generals? What do we do with founding fathers that owned, uh, you know, that owned slaves? Um, you know, are there some things that no matter what era, we just simply can't abide and have to be expunged? Uh, a disturbing new report about what's in the National Archives pertaining to Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. And we're going to get into that next year on The Day Script. Stay tuned. <laughs> Well, we've already dropped several truth bombs on today's show. Our friends at Swiss America, they're into dropping truth bombs as well. And they've got a new report out that shows, you know, the the ultimate, maybe the original intent of creating a, a fiat currency and a, and a and a centralized banking system was to to give birth to the welfare state. But the ultimate end game here uh, is total government control of a social a social credit system like what you're seeing an American company Google help the Chinese government establish right now. And that's why they've come out with uh, their new report at Swiss America. It's called The Secret War. And in this report, you're going to find out uh, why the government demands every financial transaction to be taxable, but then also trackable and blockable. Okay. If you want to learn more about this, uh, here's all you need to do. Give Swiss America a call. 1-800-289-2646. That's 1-800-289-2646. You can also visit Swiss America online. It's just SwissAmerica.com. All one word. SwissAmerica.com. I've interviewed these guys, been around them for years. They are sharp cookies and know their stuff. All right. So check this out. SwissAmerica.com. Dot com. All right, let's get back to the day's group. Shannon is here alongside Todd and Aaron. Let's get to issue three. Long live the king.
of London published an explosive expose detailing some of the exploits of the late civil rights leader Martin Luther King Jr. The Times reported that William Sullivan, a former assistant director of the FBI, penned a 1964 memo that King joked to his friends that he, quote, had started the International Association for the Advancement of P-Word Eaters. The memo was written following the FBI bugging King's room in a Washington hotel. The Times story also states, quote, In another incident said to have been recorded by the FBI, King is alleged to have looked on, laughed, and offered advice while a friend who was also a Baptist minister raped a woman as one of his parishioners, end quote. Historian David Garrow, author of the Pulitzer Prize-winning biography of King called Bearing His Cross, is reportedly going to be publishing a fuller report of the FBI documents in the June edition of Standpoint Magazine, a monthly British publication. Garrow will recount how several federal agents planted miniature transmitters in rooms King reserved in January of 1964 at the Willard Hotel, among other things. The agents listened in on radio receivers and tape recorders that had been installed in nearby rooms. The FBI document states that King was with Logan Kirst that day, a friend and pastor of Cornerstone Baptist Church in Baltimore. Kirst arrived in Washington with several female quote-unquote parishioners, where he invited King to meet them at his hotel and, quote, discuss which women among the parishioners would be suitable for natural and unnatural sex acts, end quote. When one of the women objected, Curse forcibly raped her, the document explains, as King watched. The next evening at the same hotel, King and a dozen other pastors took part in a sex orgy. King reportedly told a woman who resisted engaging in a perverse sex act that she would be initiated into it and that participating in it would, quote-unquote, help your soul. The actual documentation of these alleged activities will not be unsealed by the U.S. government until 2027. A couple of uh, background items here for context. Uh, this author, as Aaron mentioned in the monta- in his uh, intro there, uh, he, I mean, he wrote a New York Times bestseller about Reverend King that was a glowing biography. Uh, he's a lefty. Uh, he's a Pulitzer Prize winner. Uh, he came upon through, uh, he heard these wiretaps. He's reporting on what he heard. Uh, the, 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 the full wiretaps have been in the National Archives. They were sealed uh, by President Reagan, I think, uh, for 50 years or previously to pre- President Reagan in 50 years. Um, if you're younger, you may have heard that President Reagan originally was against the notion of, of, of having a Martin Luther King Jr. acknowledged federal holiday. And that was a debate when uh, Todd Aaron, uh, Todd uh, Shannon and I were kids, and then Reagan eventually did sign uh, that into law, uh, it sent that debate centered around what was in these national archives, what was in these sealed things. And, and the reservation was about, was there more to this man than maybe we were being let on? And there's a quote from Reagan at the time that uh, when he finally went ahead, uh, after originally opposing it and signing into law the MLK commemoration saying, I guess we'll find out the truth of who the man was in 35 years. Uh, that would be 2027 uh, when uh, these archives will be unsealed and you'll be able to hear all of these tapes for yourself. So uh, we're doing a lot of this nowadays. Some of it we have applauded on this show uh, when we've clearly gone after folks that have used their power to be sexual predators. Um, but it's also gone into, uh, you know, should... Um, 
Uh, should the University of Massachusetts change its name from uh, Minutemen? Because maybe some of them had some, uh, you know, wayward views about blacks in the 18th century. Should we get rid of Jeff Thomas Jefferson Jackson dinners in the Democratic Party? Because they may have had some views uh, on race that we would consider to be uh, intolerant, insensitive in our day and age. Uh, do we get rid of statues of Stonewall Jackson and Robert E. Lee? How far do we go here? Um, so let's discuss this. Let's say everything, Shannon, let's say everything in this story turns out to be true when the National Archives are unsealed in 2027. How much should it matter? I think I have to say this first. In the age of FBI corruption in the Steele dossier, I, you know, until I hear these tapes myself, honestly, I'm, I'm such a skeptic about virtually everything these days mm-hmm. that um, you know, I want to make that statement first. That I think know, that's, I a, that's a wise disclaimer. Yeah, yeah. Yes. I can't discern without knowing myself. I will say this. Number five, I have a list of 11 rules that I made up about five or six years ago when I realized how dirty politics was. I got into this business um, like a typical doe-eyed Republican thinking that, you know, there were good guys and bad guys. And when I realized when the scales fell off my eyes and I realized what we were dealing with, I knew that if I wasn't uh, very close to my creator, to God and and constantly vigilant, then this business could eat me alive. And so I have 11 rules. They're posted on my Facebook page. But number five is cling to principles, not people, not politicians, not parties, not institutions ever. It always has to be about the principle. And as Americans, both the left and the right, even from our founding fathers uh, up until Martin Luther King, we, we cannot help ourselves. We are wicked people. We cannot help ourselves from idolizing men and setting them up and worshiping them like gods. And we're doing that today with President Trump on the right and anything, you know, Barack Obama on the left. We have a problem in this country with political idolatry and forgetting about principle and clinging to people. Martin Luther King is is right up there. Listen, King David committed murder and adultery. He was a man after God's own heart. King Solomon was the wisest ruler ever to live, and he fell away from God later in You know what King Solomon probably engaged in? Lots of the behavior, given how he ended his life and, and the religious pursuits he was engaging in at that time in his life, he probably a lot of the uh, behavior that allegedly the National Archive says Reverend King was engaging in uh, at that particular point in time. Yeah. 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 It doesn't take away from the principles they espouse. It doesn't take away from the words. The, the letter from Birmingham jail, Birmingham jail, Steve, you actually uh, mentioned that I should read that. I've read it three or four or five times. It is an inspired, inspired letter. So, you know, the actions of the man, we are all sinners. Uh, we There is none among us without sin. It does not take away from the words that he spoke in a very important time in our history. But like all men, he should not be worshipped. He never should have been worshipped. We shouldn't have monuments. We shouldn't have national holidays ne- named after men at all. Uh, we need to get back to those principles. What do you think, Todd? I was going to riff somewhere along those lines. I was struck, um, My all my children started in Catholic school. Um, but it's obviously prominent in public school too. I'm sure the same is outside of what they learned about, uh, Jesus through the mass and everything at school, uh, the, the, right away in preschool and kindergarten, the, the historical figure you learn about first is Martin Luther King Jr. Because it's, 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 it's a, and it's, it's 
it's a good uh, ta- ping in point to talk about a lot of different things, a, 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 histor- a historical perspective, uh, race, uh, um, uh, courage under fire, all, all kinds of things, standing up for your principles. But it's it's remarkable how uh, the point that Shannon is trying to make through that is how how we pick uh, men to be the poster child of life. It's almost unavoidable. Uh, I mean, the fact that there are monuments are for cataclysmic reasons in human history, where if it had gone the other way, who knows what language we're speaking or how we're living. So it's understandable. But if you can never, ever forget that these men, all men, have feet of clay. So I simply uh, want to echo uh, what, what Shannon said. Ultimately, Martin, it should be, you said, should it matter? Yeah, it should matter a lot. Not because it's Martin Luther King. We shouldn't obsess about that because it's all about our a priori principles, who we are at the end of the day, no matter what man or woman comes along our path. What do you think, Aaron? You know, a few weeks ago when um, Notre Dame burned, we kind of had a same type of conversation. And that might be a little, uh, I don't know, you might feel a little, what are you talking about here? The, the thing that really mattered was not the stone and the wood and the bricks and all of the beautiful architecture um, that that church represented. What, what really mattered in that was what it stood for and what it, what it rep- uh, represented. And people who say, ah, oh, that's the church, it's a, you know, it, you know, that the church itself is what really matters, um, they're missing the mark. To say that, that Martin Luther King Jr. is the thing that really matters— in, in the context of his life. And of course, you can't ignore things. You, you can't ignore what he did, of course. And I don't think anybody's saying that. But what really matters is the principles, are the principles that, that Shannon talked about. And a reminder that it's not these bodies and these feet of clay. That it's, it's not that that matters. It's, it's the principles. Those, those are the things that will endure. And it is at anybody's peril when we elevate, whether it's a church or whether it's a human being above those principles, you do that at your own peril. You do that at your own societal and cultural peril. That's not whitewashing. That's not whitewashing what this guy did. That is wrong. But you know what informs me that that's wrong? It's the principles that we find in our own belief system. I mean, the Apostle Paul stood by, held a tunic for somebody who went and stoned uh, one of the first Christians. Um, that doesn't mean that I'm comparing the Apostle Paul to uh, Martin Luther King Jr. David, the, the King David, was a terrible, terrible person. I'm not comparing Martin Luther King Jr. to King David. It's just saying that when God uses people, fallen human b- beings, for his will, it's God who is the hero, not these people. Because these people are people who are sinful, even in some of the worst ways. This is just an opportunity to remember that and to point to God, who despite um, what sounds like Martin Luther King's Jr., or King Jr.'s abject wickedness, God was still able to use him somehow. I think that is what we should be looking at. All right, so let me switch up the exit question on you then, and I'm going to do this just based solely off all the answers you guys have given. Should conservatives, let's say all of this, the archives come out, it's all verified. Should conservatives join the fight to go back and tear down memorials, uh, occasions honoring Martin Luther King Jr., like we see leftists doing uh, in in other historical venues. What do you think, Todd? 
in general, no. The, listen, there might be a very specific reason to, well, I mean, Joe Paterno. I had no mm-hmm. problem with that guy's statue getting See, taken See, the thing down. with the King thing is when we start throwing the word rape around is where I start no, getting uh, to the, well, it, you know, I think we're getting past my point of no return here. Because I, I think might, rape ought to be like a capital yeah, offense. Well, I might so, be too, but you were asking a more general question, yeah, I yes. think. And so I said in general, no, but be, but I feel strongly that Paterno should be taken down. So I'm, but I'm with Shannon, like, um, talk to me when I know for sure. All right, Shannon, quickly, your answer. I, I don't think so. Um, I don't think we should have statutes to anyone. I mean, that's a fun discussion. Maybe we should have that discussion, but uh, maybe we shouldn't name holidays after anyone. But to go retroactively and and just raise things, I think is silly. Aaron, that's what I was going to say. Uh, either no statues whatsoever, or leave them all up. All right. Issue four. Time for the kicker. Most viewings ever. As of this morning, Avengers Endgame had made over $800 million at the domestic box office, not adjusted for inflation. And according to Box Office Mojo, it's the number two grossing movie of all time right before Star Wars The Force Awakens in terms of sales. And its theatrical run hasn't even ended yet. Adjusted for inflation, the total number of tickets sold, Endgame is number 19, with an estimated 89.5 million tickets being sold. That means basically more tickets were sold for Endgame than every single living person in California, New York, and Texas. And for a supposed fanboy film, that's a huge number. Also for a film that's uh, over three hours long. So I bring this up because I just saw it for the third time uh, in theaters. That that ties it now with the most times I've paid to go to the theater to see a movie. All right. That ties it with several Star Wars films and Return of the King. Uh, those are the films I've paid three times to go and see in a theater. So I'm curious, just really quick, what's the most you guys have each paid to see the same movie in a theater? And what movie was it, Todd? Well, I... I can't remember. I doubt it was ever over three, and it would be a lot of the same. So I tried to do something. I think back in the day when it was out and our buddies were in that frame, I think I might have gone to see The Naked Gun <laughs> like three times. I, I think that's possible. You know, that's that that's an inspired choice. All right, what do you think, Shannon? Uh, I've never paid to see a movie twice ever in my life, but I did see Titanic twice, first with my parents, and then the second time I saw Titanic was the, my first date with devastatingly handsome Dr. Joy. He's my husband. And it was so awful because once the music started, I knew what happened. I'd seen the other one. I started bawling right at the very beginning. I mean, like five minutes into the movie and I was weeping and wailing. I was wiping my nose on his sweatshirt. It was off. I don't know how I ever got a second date. But that's the only that's the only time I've ever seen a movie twice. And I didn't pay either time. That's working the system. I appreciate that. Aaron? Uh, it was Endgame, and I just want to let you know and remind you, in case you had forgotten, Steve, that I actually saw it three times opening weekend. I didn't wait till a month after it came out to get, see it the third time. So yes. my fanboy credentials in this area, I think, are just a little bit, you know. And and given how, how low your fanboy credentials were going into this, I'm, That's I'm, I, I actually yeah. applaud you outdoing yeah. me here. Uh, it needed to happen. Second frankly. was The Dark Knight. I saw that two times in theaters. That's it. Hey, before we get to predictions, if you saw recently uh, an episode of 60 Minutes, the former head of the FBI's uh, cyber crimes division was on there warning homeowners uh, that foreign and domestic thieves can steal your home, do it all online where our mortgages and our home titles are kept in databases that can be hacked. And then once that happens, they forge their name onto your title, uh, liquidate, borrow against your equity uh, to get cash and use your home and that equity as collateral and then stick you with the payments and you often don't even 
find out about this until foreclosure letters, let payment notices start coming in. Uh, banks can't protect you. Your mortgage lender can't protect you. But for just pennies a day, Home Title Lock will. Uh, they will, if they sense any nefarious activity whatsoever, they will mobilize to shut it down. And you can find out today for free whether your home's title has already been tampered with. Just go to HomeTitleLock.com and sign up for the free title scan and report. Normally $100 value, but it is free today to our audience here at The Blaze at HomeTitleLock.com. One more time, protect the most valuable investment most Americans will ever have with HomeTitleLock.com. All right, let's get to predictions. Shannon, you go first. I think that Justin Amash will leave the Republican Party by the end of 2019. Hmm. Uh, I could see that. Todd. I think despite the heart-wrenching situation with the little four-year-old girl who got hit with a baseball, uh, uh, everybody's virtue signaling about how the nets must be extended all the way down to the fall. fall. I don't think that's going uh, to happen. I think that, and I think it just has to do with logistics. The further you get away uh, from the plate, you're not looking th- through the net directly. You're looking sideways. And I think it's way more of an obstructed view issue than people will let on. And I think, unfortunately, this is just part of going the potentially part of going to the ballpark as as sad as it is and pray for that little girl aaron um bill barr will resign by the end of the year he's just he got he got into this and he's like um whoa i didn't realize that we would be talking about the same thing five months or 15 months later you know that was actually almost my prediction and then I, i actually typed it out and then got rid of it that is weird I went with this one instead. I think LeBron James is going to ask for a trade from the Lakers. He's going to say, you guys can't trade me. Talk about trading me. I want out. I want to trade. That's what I think is going to happen. Shannon, have a great weekend. See you you soon. All right, take care. We'll come back with some feedback Friday, hour number two on its way right here on Blaze TV radio and podcast. Stay tuned. We're back with hour number two here on Blaze TV radio and podcast. 888-900-3393 is the number here uh, to the Steve Dace show. You can also let us know what you think about what we think via the stevedace.com inbox, which you can access one of three ways. You can email the program. That's steve at stevedace.com. You can uh, like us on Facebook. But apparently it's required that you have to like us a lot for one of them to actually show up. Uh, Or you can follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. And the last name is D-E-A-C-E for those of you listening today via Blaze Radio or podcast. And by the way, if you are listening to us today via Blaze Podcast uh, or any other podcast platform of your choice, if you wouldn't mind leaving us a five-star review, if you like our show on your podcast platform of choice, we would greatly appreciate that. The more of those we get, the more... uh, are the odds that we get to find more people like you and keep doing this. Yeah, thousands of you have done this for us already. We greatly appreciate all of those and appreciate any new ones uh, that uh, the rest of you want to add for us here as well. Now, if you are, we just did, a, I mentioned one of the things we did on our Memorial Day vacation was a bunch of spring cleaning, right? Uh, if, if you are getting ready to do that or you just did that and you're like, man, these carpets have got to go and it's because of pet stains. 
before you make that major purchase, because I promise you, unless you're going to lay the carpet yourself, this will not be an inexpensive proposition, particularly because you probably got to replace the padding too. Like everybody goes to the carpet store or the carpet section at the store and they're like, oh yeah, square foot, it's not that expensive. Like, this is nice, 10 bucks a square foot. Yeah, 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 yeah. they don't get you see what the padding and the install price was. <laughs> All right. It gets a little bit more pricey uh, with that. And that's why you want to check out Genesis 950 uh, because it's an awesome pet stain remover and it gets down into the padding of the carpet as well. And it's antibacterial. So it's safe for your kids and for your pets. All right. So if, if you, before you make the major purchase of getting new carpets, Give Genesis 950 a try. In fact, you can use it on the nicer stuff too. Um, you can use it on the quartz and the granite uh, in the bathrooms and in the, in the kitchen. Uh, you can use it on the really dirty stuff, the oil and grease stains on the garage floor. But uh, really, if you're going to go with the new carpet thing because of pet stains, try Genesis 950 first. Here's how. Just go to Genesis950.com. That's the website. That's all you have to do. Genesis950.com and uh, use code Blaze there uh, at checkout and you'll receive not just a free spray bottle, but also a discount. All right. So promo code Blaze at Genesis950.com. Promo code Blaze at Genesis950.com. All right. Let's get to some feedback Friday. And, uh, you know, we had a conversation a few days or maybe this is more than a week ago uh, about Joe Biden being handsy. And the era, you know, the some of it, I mean, he chose to address it in a video. So clearly he thought it was impacting him politically. Um, you had the likes of, uh, you know, feminists and Alyssa Milano, but I repeat myself going on cable news to excuse it, you know. Um, and, and we discussed it on this show. And I got numerous emails about this from women. And there's a couple that I want to share. Um, just to give their perspective on dealing with or having been around men like this, their own opinions, all right? I mean, I, I worked, before you two came along, I worked, we might have been the only nationally syndicated show in America in, in, in the conservative sphere whose producer and co-host were both women. And so I worked with Jen and Rebecca full-time, you know? I think maybe the only time I can remember and that, and that was, and Rebecca had worked for me every day on my local show in Des Moines before she came to join me on the national network. So, I mean, she worked with me every day for years. She was a guest in my home on a numerous, uh, numerous occasions. Um, you know, when she, she, she loved our kids, she used to babysit them sometimes when Amy and I would have date nights. So she was a, she was a guest in her home. My, my kids knew her on a first name basis. I worked with her every single day locally and then nationally for what? Four, five, six years. And I, and the only time I can recall, and I mean, we had a really good relationship, but the only time I can recall any physical touch is, is Amy and the kids put together for me, figuring if they did it for my 40th birthday, I would know it was coming. So they put together a surprise birthday party for me, a surprise roast of me for my 39th birthday, thinking that I wouldn't know it was going to happen because it's not a landmark occasion. And, um, and it was and a bunch of friends from politics and the ministry came and, and did a roast and we taped the whole thing and had a ton of fun. And Jen and Rebecca did their own roast of me and we hugged at my birthday. And that might've been the only time in five or six years that we worked together on a consistent basis. And she was a guest in my home that we ever had actually any physical touch. Like it would never occur to me 
that that is a boundary to even contemplate um, crossing, you know? So I don't really resonate with this idea of that's from another era. I don't, it seems weird. How do you feel? I mean, I mean, you worked in co-ed professional settings and newsrooms. Did you see men and women touching and hugging and stuff like that all the time when they were working together? Well, it's not all the time, but I certainly can recall it. And okay. I mean, I've, and it could also be, by the way, that I also am just, you know, socially and emotionally immature. I, that, could, that could be a part of it. See, that's what I was going to say about myself, too. So <laughs> so, so this conversation, I'm just not, I'm not equipped to have it. You know, I don't get it. You're not a hugger. We get I'm not. It. I, we, I don't, I I don't, like, Steve I don't and mind I hugging. Have, yeah, we just have bubbles and I don't voluntarily go outside or go invite somebody in to burst my bubble, essentially. Right. right. I mean, th- there's only two women that I am not married to or share DNA with that I have even been alone with in the last 10 years. And Jenna and Rebecca are the only two because I've got, you know, those kinds of boundary issues and those sorts of things. So this idea of just grabbing random women and hugging them and all that kind of stuff, I just, I, I don't know what the rules of engagement there are because I don't even play in that sphere. So I'm totally ill-equipped to really talk about it. Um, but, I wanted to share some uh, some emails from women who have been in these situations or witnessed it and get their perspective. Um, this is from uh, Rochelle, this first one. She says, I know a man who I can say confidently knew exactly what he was doing when he acted in the way Joe Biden does. How may you ask? How, how you may ask. He never acted in that way when his wife was around. I own a housekeeping business and this man lived in the very first home I got my foothold on uh, foothold in to begin my career. Needless to say, I was in a precarious position with my budding business when this man began to act this way a couple of years or so into the job. Hugs were not uncommon between his wife and I as she had many health problems and I became as much a confidant and family friend to her as I was a house cleaner. When her husband went from brief goodbye hugs to hugs that were uncomfortably long, uh, to even giving me pe- pecks on the neck. I confronted him about the behavior and began to steer clear of him whenever his wife was out of the house. Previously, she had confided in me about the bitterness she carried from when her husband had cheated on her decades ago and she'd only found out through a mutual friend. So I never told her about what happened because she had enough burdens to bear and, and will continue to live out her life with the man seeing as they're now in their 80s. It wasn't a life-ruining event for me. I didn't seek therapy to cope. I did feel violated by the act and took a very long shower that day. It did cause me to be more suspicious of people's affections, especially older men. I don't accept compliments as heartily, lest my actions be construed as condoning more elaborate intimacy. Perhaps it is different with Joe Biden. As you and others have stated, he does it in plain view. Or perhaps his wife and others tolerate the behavior because they don't want to speak up. I had a hard time saying something to that man about the way he made me feel, and he isn't the vice president. It feels silly looking back, but I was never taught how to deal with a situation. I was hardly taught much of anything in the broken home that I grew up in. Personally, I think feminists are right to believe that men like Joe deserve a reckoning, even though their motivations may be suspect, and I think they're wrong about everything else. She's speaking about the motivations of feminists. All right, so that's the first email along these lines I wanted to share from Michelle. you have any comments, Todd? Uh, I take everything she said at uh, face value. The particulars, she has every right uh, to have been offended, concerned, disgusted, 
Um, and I don't, uh, in terms of what we said about Joe Biden, I, I mean, with Joe, I, I honestly, with a lot of it, I love to, he's, he says and does things that are just so like he told a guy in a wheelchair to get up. I mean, I, I, I was oriented to thinking he just see, there are people who have different, I think that's what you were getting to. They have different automatic wiring for boundaries. Yeah. I, that's, I think that's obviously true. And yes, Joe's are clearly documented as publicly bizarre and creepy, but they're also so public, unlike the one she brought up, that I mm-hmm. I have to, I, I'll view your letter just like the next one and the next one um, as they come, but I, I do not take a single feeling away that you had regarding that circumstance. What do you think, Aaron? What, what's your generation's just, view on this? It's you just, guys hug each goes, other and stuff a lot, co-ed? It, well, it's just, it's different from person to person along the lines of what Todd said. Like, it would have never occurred to me in college when I was in an environment with a lot more people and a lot more co-ed situations. Never occurred to me to just randomly, you know, uh, touch someone of the opposite sex in any way. Whether it was, But there was other people, there were other people who were much more extroverted and much more... Um, I say this with a lot of jealousy, <laughs> much more socially, <laughs> sure. uh, you know, a, a lot better social acumen, I would say, who uh, just have something about them where people, you know, they feel comfortable giving hugs. People, most people felt comfortable, you know, accepting hugs from them. Um, you know, it, so it's just different from person to person. Um, I, you know. Whenever, whenever I would, you know, be slapped on the back, you know, that's fine. Whether it's, or if it's just somebody coming up, this happens with one particular guy who was just a, a regular guy, but he was really extroverted. He would just give up, you know, come up and just start rubbing your shoulder. I'm like, okay, that's, you know, you're inside my space, but it wasn't, it, I, I didn't feel you know, violated. I can't say, can't speak for women, obviously, but the point is, it's just different from person, person to person. Let's, let's do one more on this topic. This is from Mary Ellen, uh, who listens to us in British Columbia. Uh, she says, I've, uh, I've occasionally had to cope with men who took the international approach, Roman hands with Roman fingers. I've complained about such handsy behavior to other women. We've warned others to keep our distance and not be next to such men in group photos. The general attitude has been sigh, how junior high. Being groped is not flattering. It is also not sexual assault using the classic definition. My response to men who are so impolite depended on the circumstance. I did what I thought would be most effective and least attention getting at those times. If the crude clod, and that's a word we've lost, we need to bring back, by the way. Clod. Don't you think it's a lost art, that word? That word needs to return, I think. If the crude clod was someone I would encounter again, a little judicious use of an elbow always did the trick. I like that approach. Um. If it was someone I wasn't likely to meet again, I kept my distance as discreetly as possible. If the encroachment on my person was too inappropriate, I said something directly to the man. I never thought it was anyone else's job to set my boundaries for me. You can argue correctly that a woman should never have to be bothered, but that's like arguing that there should be no bad behavior of any kind. We live, we, when we live in a world without sin, we can talk about that eventuality. For now, we must deal with reality. We must deal immediately, and by the way, not years later. I bought into the feminist notion of, of, a, of strong and courageous womanhood that went along with equal pay and equal work and the right to use our God-given talents. I never bought into the neo-feminist notion that women are strong except when being victims is more strategic. That's a very fascinating distinction there. 
is the one she just drew. Either the Nevada politician uh, should have told Vice President Biden to back off. She's the one that removed his hands. That's the last time the story came up. All right. Or she should have refrained from writing about the incident years after the fact. Oh, I can't, I, my mistake. No, she's the one that actually is, that caused the video that said, hey, he made me feel uncomfortable. And then it was like two weeks later was a woman that removed his hands on the stage. Now I've got it right. Right, Aaron? Is that right? Okay. Yep. Isn't allowing someone to get away with bad behavior for years called enabling? If inappropriate sexual behavior lowers to the level of criminality, charges should be filed. If it's just creepy, the woman or man should take care of it swiftly and discreetly. Allegations shouldn't be bandied about on Twitter or on talk shows. I think they call that gossip. Personal responsibility works. Our society should try more of it. Uh, thanks to the three of you guys for delivering a show that helps me think rather than telling me what to think. That's from Mary Ellen. What do you think, Todd? Uh, I'm in the exact same place I was before. Are you... I mean, you nailed it, both in terms of taking uh, responsibility for yourself. It's it's not simply claiming victim status. Uh, the, the fact that we aren't going to call, um, you know, boorish behavior. I, and I think that's where I was initially talking about. There, There's utterly boorish behavior. Mm -hmm. And then there's sexual assault. Mm -hmm. And I... Now, the question is, does one necessarily lead to the other? Right. Can you be a clawed, if we're going to use yes. that word, without being a predator? That's well, yeah. Well, is that, is, because well I, according it, according to the United Nations, uh, Siri and Alexa actually caused that. So the answer to that question <laughs> is yes. But the, and it, remove the third wave. Let's be feminist, uh, you know, deconstructionist, progressive. Uh, uh, let's just be people. Let's just be women. Let's be mm -hmm. fathers and husbands and daughters. Let's be men who have daughters. Mm -hmm. Okay. Let's just remove all of the tainted stuff that third wave feminism, egalitarian feminism and progressivism has piled on these conversations. Let's remove all of that and let's just be human beings creating the image of God for a second. If you remove all the leftist political damage, the, it seems to me the real conversation we're having about this debate is... Does a clawed always equal a creep? Does a creep always equal a predator? Okay. Yeah. And, and that isn't that really the debate we're having? Yeah. Are, are these distinctions or are they distinctions without a difference? Is one a gateway drug to another? And I, that, that's really the conversation, I think. And I think this writer gets it because, not knowing her, but I think the last thing she would ever want the conversation to swing to is, is okay, now let's talk about toxic masculinity. I mean, she wants no right. part of any right. of that uh, nonsense. But I, I think that I saw once I was at a, um, a high school setting, um, I, I, I know a girl who was like a junior was standing in the presence of her father with her boyfriend. This is a lot of people around. And the, 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 the boyfriend is being very handsy, you know, rubbing her back, hand around the shoulder, the, the, right in front of her dad. What year is this? This girl was a junior in high school. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, and now, d d d these are not bad kid okay forget that we're all sinners i'm not doing that conversation this is not a bad kid in as far as i know and i know enough of the families okay but you know if that's me and a boyfriend is doing that to my son you want me to break one arm or two arms you know you please understand your limits your surroundings you need to prove that to me okay do I think he was a serial violator or a potential one? No. He was clearly being in that moment of cloud. But you know who else was? His father. And so we have a we have perpetuated 
licentiousness of every single kind. The kind I'm actually mentioning is pretty benign, but it's the kind, I think that's what we're talking about. Like, every, and each individual has different lines of comfortability. Yes. Where they, listen, I, I was not, I, I sinned sexually as a young man, I, I, but I, I view what I did as like another day that ends in a Y version of things. I wasn't Will Chamberlain. Uh, I, do, I, do I wish it was different? Absolutely. Um, but I, and could I, like anybody else, potentially have gone further off the off the rails? That's absolutely true too. But I really like what both of these women did. They had grown up conversations about this, and they didn't demand that any one person get stuck in some uh, tribal penalty box. So they have added to the conversation and enriched it. Your generation, to me, as I as I observe it as a parent who just graduated a high school girl and has another entering into her teenage years. When I view your generation, Aaron, it seems like you guys are stuck between two false premises, yep. which is a, a hookup culture um, that as long as it's consensual, there's nothing else happening here other yep. than a physical transaction. It's, it's either grinding or could I have permission to look at you? Yes, that was my other thing. Or, and and I think we've even discussed this off the air before, with, when we've talked about you trying trying to be single in this day and age, if if you met a woman in our professional circles, another woman your age, and had an interest, how would how confident would you feel you could initiate uh, that interest to see if she reciprocated without worrying about am I you know you know you know it's a strange dynamic where like without if you met her on being yeah if you met her on Tinder and and sent her a uh, a stick pic. If I want to use a euphemism here, then that's totally cool, right? But if you like send her a DM on Twitter and say, "Hey, I'm you know I I, I like your stuff. I I think you're attractive. I'm going to be in town. Would you like to get? Di-? Is that crossing a boundary? How does your? I don't know how your generation possibly navigates uh, that stuff. Well, there is, um, there is, you know, there is some trepidation there. But I, I think in that conversation that you referenced, I, Todd. I don't want to misrepresent Todd's point, but Todd kind of caused me to think about that there is a point though if you there is a point though you just got to take a risk i don't i don't think that's a question in any area any era at any time Mm -hmm. you got to take a risk at some point i mean duh that's you're a dude you got to do that um but as as far as the the last email as well i really appreciate that response and the growing up it's a really grown-up response i would say though the bottom line in any of this and along the lines of my last answer, where there are just different people, different dudes who are in different types of people who are just more comfortable with, you know, uh, shorter boundaries uh, than others. I would say whether you're a clod, you're a creep or you're a predator, uh, it doesn't matter if you are a woman or really anyone, but especially women uh you have a right to set boundaries and enforce boundaries um, re- regarding, you know, personal space. I think anybody has that right to do, regardless of whether you're around creeps, clods, or um, predators. I, I think that's kind of the bottom line of this conversation, and it's really entirely subjective what is acceptable and what is not. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's there's things you know when it when it gets it gets up to the line of of predator, uh, and you, you know if we're talking about assaulter or rapist, I mean obviously those are clear moral lines. But things that are, you know, kind of sub beneath that or maybe going up to that line, it's really subjective as far as what mm-hmm. you're comfortable with. So mm-hmm. you have to just understand, 
you have a right to set and enforce personal boundaries. That's all. Speaking of personal boundaries, uh, a lot of us, um, we don't have like a stoplight at the table telling us, hey, you don't have to go any further. You're full. Uh, stop eating. The good news is that boundary was actually put into our bodies. It's called OEA. It's a signal that goes from the gut to the brain uh, that says, hey, uh, we can stop eating. We're good to go. And it's it it's really works well when we're younger. That's one of the reasons why we've got these metabolisms that do great. For some of us, though, that signal just isn't what it should be. For others, as we get older, it just diminishes. And that's where Riduzone comes in. They want to be the missing link if you've been fighting a losing battle against the bulge. And all they want to do, just put that OEA back in your body. Uh, no caffeine, not a stimulant, all right? Three ingredients. OEA is the overwhelmingly main ingredient. One of the other ones is like rice, okay? So this is just about getting that signal to work the way that it did once before and get your metabolism to work for you the way that it did once before. If you want to give this a shot, just go to riduzone.com, R-I-D-U-Z-O-N-E, riduzone.com. Use my name there and they'll give you, for a promo code, Steve, they'll give you a special discount when you do, okay? riduzone.com, R-I-D-U-Z-O-N-E, riduzone.com. Uh, let's get a quick correction in here. Uh, something we talked about recently on the show. This is from Aaron Real. He says, you are correct that Jefferson did have some very wonky and unorthodox views on Christianity, but he did not rewrite the Bible accordingly. The two Jefferson's Bibles, or the two Jefferson Bibles that he made were for two different reasons. The first was an abridged version of the gospel for use in missions to Indians. According to the manuscript's own title, um, though if it was ever actually used in that context remains a historical question. The second version was where he cut out all of Jesus' moral teachings so as to study them against many other moral teachers, uh, not just uh, for his own personal exegetical statement. Neither was an attempt by him to rewrite or edit scripture for his own truth or anything like that. So uh, wanted to, hopefully that, that's a view of history that I've not heard. Doesn't mean it's wrong though, because I'm not an oracle. So I wanted to share that with Aaron when we discuss some of Jefferson's religious views uh, in the past. You look like you want well, to respond I, to that. He, Jefferson was highly skeptical of the miracles. Yes. So and, I, and Aaron Aaron acknowledged he had. He, he he's not claiming he's yeah, so you I, know should be in a pulpit. He just was you know. That, that's okay. All right. That's okay. I think it's okay. You think it's okay? Which part is okay? Steve is never wrong, Aaron. <laughs> no, I just, I let him just fact check me. What are you talking about? I, and I'm assuming he's, he's right about that. I have no reason I, not to believe I that. I think this, the, that's a very Jeffrey, I mean, he was wonky about a lot of things. I mean, brilliant uh, and, and, alt, and utterly flaky at the same time. And I think this issue is a perfect encapsulation of that. Peggy Schrader says, I will never forget a professor I had years ago in college. His family had escaped uh, Cuba in a small boat under cover of night. He was of the opinion that it should be mandatory for every student to take a class in communism. He said, you cannot be against something you know nothing about. To me, this seems to make even more sense today. Of course, it could boil down to could you trust a public educator to relay truthful information? Your thoughts? Yes. Yeah, I mean, you're, I think you're right on the money, Peggy. I mean, that's this. This is the conversation we just had about Chernobyl, and the and the it, it the popularity of this show, um, and it's among a group of people who want to evangelize and promote the very belief system, the very worldview 
that allowed one of the greatest tragedies of the 20th century to occur. That is a cosmic disconnect. When we talk about progressivism being a cult, that's what we mean. Cults produce this level of cognitive dissonance. You're not in your right mind because you view things. You have what we call, cults produce what we call on this show, lucid sanity. What do we mean by that? We mean insanity. that. Insanity. Lucid insanity. Thank you. What we mean by that is you understand, you understand the day and the time. Okay. I mean, you understand reality as a tangible uh, commodity. You're not barking like a dog. Yes. You're not howling at the moon. Yeah. Right. Yes. But you, you have disassociated from the fundamentals of reality itself to believe reality came from a place that it actually didn't come from. And so that's how you, on one hand, can assert both a worldview while then also being entertained by the things that are condemning it at the exact same time without even drawing the connect, without even, without drawing the connection. Like, I'll give you an example. I loved the Luke Cage. Well, I loved season one of the Luke Cage show on Netflix. I mean, I loved it. And when we talked about it at the time, I said, you know what? I love the politics it delves into. I don't agree with much of the politics it delves into, but I love the fact they were presenting that viewpoint, but they were being real about it, honest about it. And I thought, you know what? I'm, I'm interested in hearing their perspective on things, even if I don't have a lot of the exact same conclusions. Now, you see the distinction I just drew here. I was entertained by something I understood did not reinforce my particular viewpoints. All right. But I recognize that while consuming the entertainment. I didn't come in here and say, wow, man, Luke Cage is great. And, you know, what they've got to say about what's going on in inner city America. Well, I got a lot is, is great. Well, a lot of what they're saying is, is in, you know, disputing what I believe. I recognize they were disputing what I believed. I wasn't, I didn't, wasn't, it wasn't given over. It wasn't, um, it wasn't idiocracy, the TV show, Out right. My Testes. Right. Instead, what they're doing here, let me promote a show that says what I will do leads to people dying that don't deserve to, if I get my way. And then it never even, it never even dawns on me that that's what I'm actually promoting. That is the lucid insanity that a cult produces. So Peggy, absolutely, I agree with you that there ought to be classes taught on this. Absolutely. Hey, do you have itchy ears, ear pain, or that plugged up feeling? Are you constantly asking people to repeat themselves? Uh, if that's you, you could be like millions of Americans that have a, a visit to the doctor's office waiting in the future. And isn't that a hassle? And then a lot of times we put it off because it is a hassle until that ear pain just gets worser and worser. Don't let that be you ever again, because now you can do it yourself in the comfort and convenience of your own home, just like the professionals do and without a prescription, courtesy of Waxer X. It uses a physician-developed technology that safely and effectively removes earwax buildup and then soothes the ear with a pH condition formula, just like the pros. Now you can be just like them, all right? And you can even try WaxRx risk-free today. Just go to usewaxrx, that's the website, usewaxrx.com. That's usewaxrx.com. And then use offer code radio at checkout for free shipping, all right? Usewaxrx.com, offer code radio at checkout for free shipping. You have any thoughts on the teaching of the communism in schools? Oh, I mean, the... the these lucid insane. I've worked in a newsroom. Trust me, I get lucid insanity. I mean, it is it is the, it is the same thing. And I've had these conversations. And this is where I get the Jehovah's Witness look that you always talk about, Aaron. Seen it a million times. Yeah, I would just say uh, she has a point, though. The people with lucid insanity would probably be the ones. 
teaching that class. Yes, which is exactly where we're going in our very next note. And Aaron, this one is especially uh, set aside for you. Oh All right, we're going to talk about that here. Coming back next on a Feedback Friday here on the Steve Day, Steve Day Show. Almost forgot my name. Stay tuned. Well, we all know that today's progressives are trying to import socialism to America, but what you may not know is uh, they're unfortunately getting some help right now from one branch of the Trump administration, particularly Secretary of Health and Human Services, uh, Alex Azar. He's helping their cause by trying to let foreign countries dictate the prices of our medicine, and FreedomWorks wants to get the administration's attention and get them to tell Secretary Azar to stop doing this. Uh, but they need your help. Uh, the more voices, the louder they get and the more likely they are to get the attention of the powers that be. Um, so if you want to avoid potential shortages of vital medicines, uh, maybe setting medical research back decades, uh, you want to help tell foreign governments to stop meddling with your health care. Go to freedomworks.org slash dace, my last name, right? Freedomworks.org slash dace, add your name to the growing list of folks who want to tell Secretary Azar to help fix patients and not prices, and tying the prices of our medicine to other countries does not put America first. All right. Freedomworks.org slash DACE. One more time. Freedomworks.org slash D-E-A-C-E. All right. Back to Feedback Friday. All right. Aaron, are you ready? Ready. This is from Kevin Impacoven. I think I pronounced that correctly. He is from here in Iowa. He says, my son is a high school junior and we have homeschooled since preschool. He is strong in his Catholic faith, faith and a true Christian conservative and has true con Christian conservative values like you guys. We've toured a lot of the colleges here in the state, and one my son likes is Simpson College in Indianola, Iowa. We've toured it a couple of times. Doesn't seem too terribly leftist compared to some of the others we've toured. The look on Aaron's face already, if the camera could see. Uh-oh! <laughs> yeah, that, that's what that look said. <laughs> That's exactly what it said. We've invested a lot in this kid and don't want him to lose what we've instilled in him. Do you guys think Simpson is the kind of place you can be who you are and not feel pressured or guilty to be a straight Christian white male? Or should we try to influence our son to look elsewhere? And can I add a further caveat to that to yeah. series of questions? Exactly where could we send Kevin's son to college? where this would not occur other than an explicitly orthodox Christian university, because Simpson has a seminary there. I believe it was originally, it was uh, a Presbyterian. Yeah. School. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. It's sort or of Methodist. Like, I, yeah. yeah one of it's one of those. Yeah. It's, it has, it's, it's, it's a, <laughs> that says it all right there. Yeah. The Catholic over here is like, you yeah. guys wow. can't even keep your denomination. No, straight. we can. I mean, that, that's, that is central college uh, here in Des Moines, in, in central Iowa and Pella, which is, you know, maybe Iowa's best city in my view. Uh, it was started by, you know, uh, the reformed church. I mean, it, it hosts, you know, white privilege conferences. Okay. So Aaron, you have, Todd and I were there when they started this garbage, but you have, you've, yep. you've come, your generation is fully immersed in it. So what advice would you have for Mr. Kevin here? Send your son to Simpson. Now I say that, and I'll explain it a little bit. My, the reason why, the reason why I think this is designed for me is because my roommate right now, who is one of my best friends and I've known him forever, um, 
he actually attends Simpson right now. Um, his first semester, he was required to take a class called Bowling for Socialism. This semester, he had to as wow. extra credit for one of his for one of his. We're, classes. See, we conservatives are not making this stuff up, folks. No. Go ahead, Aaron. We're it was not making it up. Called Bowling okay. for Socialism. One of his first. Uh, he he had to watch a bunch of videos from the Young Turks and stuff as it was required for class and. Uh, anyway, uh, this semester, a- as a requirement for one of his classes, he wants to be a PE teacher, so he's going down that track. I'm not sure what exactly the degree is, uh, so he's going down that track. Uh, one of his uh, one of his classes forced him to go to a, a symposium on fat shaming, where uh, several obese um, individuals had to uh, talk about how they feel like they're being judged because of uh, because they're unhealthy. Essentially, that's that's basically what it was. Don't judge us for being unhealthy. Don't tell us to to get healthy. Don't tell us that this is unhealthy behavior we, um, we're engaging in. He was also invited uh, to a, uh, I think, a drag queen night as well at Simpson. Here's why I would send your son to Simpson, though. You want, if he is strong in his faith right now, you want him to be challenged. All right? If this is a place, but don't go there be, just for that. If this is a place... That he can study, he has a vision for his future, and Simpson, as far as the actual hands-on vocational training, will give him that future. Don't not send him there because he's going to be challenged. You want him to be challenged. I'll I'll say this about you know more a little bit more personally even than my my friend who goes to Simpson right now. My sister actually went to Drake University here in uh, here in Des Moines. Drake is a very leftist campus like any uh, – it's a private university, but it's a very leftist campus. Uh, I saw her grow in her faith uh, more during that period of time and and more now that she's been married and she has a child and just seeing that relationship grow as well. But up to that point in her life, I saw her grow more there probably after the first year and a half to two years because of the church that she eventually got involved with than, than any time in her life up to that point. And it's because she was challenged. Mm. So that's why I would say, don't worry about your your son being challenged. If he if you gave him a good foundation and he's strong in his faith, don't go somewhere that's just going to coddle and affirm him. Uh, send him to somewhere challenging. Now, having said that, I myself went to a private Christian school. Um, I wouldn't say I was. I mean, I there were people there that disagreed with me, but I was there for a definitive purpose, and that was to get good at radio. And they had the the the. the you know the facilities and the the training. Yeah, they have a network of radio stations yeah. all over the country. I, yes, yeah. and uh, that was the main reason I went there. It was I didn't. It really didn't enter my mind. Okay, I want to be challenged. I, like I, as I go along and I get in more into life, I'm going to be challenged. But I wouldn't say don't go somewhere just because you're going to be challenged. Agreed. I mean, if, like for example, if you have an interest in political science, then absolutely, I'd go to a school like Hillsdale College, for example. Yep. All right, you need to get you need to consider something like that as a boot camp to get you ready for the challenge to come. Yep. I think I think it's not a one size fits all thing. You know, um, since this will be the second time we've mentioned my old co-host Jen in the show, uh, we used to attend the same church, and she used to come to my adult Bible Sunday school classes. And one of the adult Bible Sunday school classes I was teaching was on the Reformation. And I had uh, given all of the students in the class uh, uh, what the five solas of the Reformation, sola gratia, sola fide, um, you know, uh, the, the the five pillars of the Reformation, Christ alone, faith alone, grace uh, by grace alone, uh, glory of God alone is the purpose of human life. Scripture alone is the primary authority uh, in matters of truth and morality. And, and I didn't tell them what they were. And I said, hey, 
do your homework, come back next Sunday and tell me if you guys know what these five things are. And, and Jen told, uh, told me a story at the time that uh, she, was, she, went to, she went to Bob Jones. <laughs> yeah. She went to Bob Jones. She's a Bob Jones University graduate. Yeah. She didn't know what these were. And so she's sitting on the, her, uh, her bed in their master bedroom at their house uh, one, one afternoon, researching online what these five pillars of the Reformation are. And her husband, Scott, comes in and he's like, what are you doing? She tells him. He takes a look at the sheet. Now, he's a University of Iowa graduate, which is one of those Midwestern public universities that really, really wants to be Cal Berkeley. Okay? Now, he's a University of Iowa graduate. She went to Bob Jones. He comes in, looks at the sheet, and he goes, and he just goes right on down the line of what all five of these things are and what they mean. And she looked at him, and she's like, how did you know this? He goes, well, I mean, I, I was in our religious studies class at yeah. the University of Iowa. I took one at the University of Wisconsin. And because, because she went to an evangelical school that came out of a, a tradition that doesn't necessarily have a reformed view on certain aspects of theology, she was just never taught this entire context of her faith whatsoever. And yet the guy, her husband, went to a complete and total pagan school. I mean, the University of Iowa is so politically correct, folks. It, it is, it, it's the first university in America that tried to have a separate athletic department for the men and the women so they could have all women administrators running all the women's teams. All right? And they did this like 30 years ago with a pioneering lesbian feminist named Christine Grant. Okay, so, I mean, this is a school that desperately wants to be Cal Berkeley. And yet her husband knew what all of these were and the gal that went to Bob Jones University was never taught this stuff. I think there's this tendency that, and it, I think it's true in Iowa, I think it's true in my own experience that, you know, the, the bigger city and suburban schools, uh, more liberal, the more rural you get, more conservative, it's red state, blue state stuff. But I think people tend to carry that forward into these smaller schools and think their kids are going to be safer there there's going to be more common sense it is crazy town at iowa i went to the university of wisconsin in madison which is which is is gone places the university of iowa is hoping to and it already went there yes but that's an even crazier school i freaking hate that i mean even in the progressivism you guys are better (laughs) i know always hey i'm a michigan fan we have literally we all i mean michigan literally is has 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 invented the places Wisconsin and Iowa want to right. go to. It's how you like them apples. All right. I mean, Josh McDowell once told me the only campus he ever went on where he didn't feel safe. The great American evangelist. He once told me the only campus he's ever been on that he didn't feel safe was the University of Michigan. So there you go. Huh. All right. Well, Aaron addressed the specifics of Simpson, but schools like it. You have to remember that those private liberal arts universities are in a this rat race of survival to to make sure that they are uh, sustainable, and they are increasingly going full tilt woke. And you are in that that time, perhaps small town and that small university, and it might be a lot harder to escape that. Listen, at the University of Wisconsin. Iowa, giant schools, public funding. uh, They have to take all manner of students in order to survive. I went there with most of my buddies and, and, you know, liberals, conservatives. We we, we came out that way. Some of us changed. But you you might, I think it's the, the, the default for a lot of people that that's the worst possible 
circumstance you could be in and you're more likely in these small liberal arts colleges to be safer i don't think that that is automatically true i think you got to have uh you know watch out for that knife in your back everywhere you go and you might actually be safer just because you have more places to escape to those big schools they can't control everything those smaller schools have a better shot at it Mm, that is a that's a that's an interesting that's an interesting analysis as well that at the very least from what we know anecdotally about a Grinnell in Iowa, a Wellesley oh, yeah. that's if notorious. There's at least there's at least specific and anecdotal evidence we can cite to affirm what you just uh, posited there. Um, let's do this one, uh, and I'm gonna on his request, I'm gonna protect the name uh, or withhold the name to protect his privacy. Uh, I wanted to write this email, let you know how much I appreciate your openness recently about why you do not have a firearm in your home. And I said, the reason we don't have one currently uh, is uh, my wife's been struggling with um, some bipolar uh, issues in the last couple of years. And the lows can be really low. And it's just really not, a, it's a good idea for us not to, um, to tempt fate in that particular area. And ADT security is, is, on the other hand, has been the beneficiary of this move for what they're charging me. In this, in in the in in it in 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 its stead, but that's another lament. Uh, anyway, <laughs> uh, he says I grew up in deep East Texas, where opening day is in late October and has nothing to do with baseball. Growing up, I spent many November Saturday mornings shivering in a deer blind, especially in years when my Aggies had already crashed and burned and weren't worth watching, which was more often than not. I'm as big a supporter of the Second Amendment as as there is, yet I do not have firearms in my home. I do own a few, but they are with family members with whom I shoot and hunt and are brought to me when I need them. About eight years ago, after watching my career slowly unravel and finding out that my wife had been unfaithful, I found myself in a hotel room with the intention of ending my life there. At my lowest, I believed that my life was worthless and that my death would actually benefit those that I loved and those around me. My coworkers would be free from the burden of my incompetence. My wife could go on and be with the person she actually wanted. The only thing that stopped me that night was the idea that if I went through with it, my life insurance policy would not pay out and benefit my children. I went to sleep that night thinking that I needed to make it look like an accident. The next day, in a moment of clarity, I made the decision to clear my home of firearms. Since that night, through counseling and reconciliation, I'm recovering from that depression and my marriage is being repaired. But I've remained in a gun-free home. I remember how quickly and thoroughly that mindset can take hold, and it's terrifying. I've also learned that much of my depression stemmed from thought processes that I developed as a young person. So I made a career change, and I'm now a high school math teacher with additional certification in school counseling. When asked why I chose that career, I tell people that my main mission isn't to teach math, but to help my students not develop those irrational beliefs and distorted thought processes. In short, my goal is that none of my students ever feel about themselves the way that I felt about me. It sounds like your wife is on a very similar path. She's actually getting her second master's degree in counseling from Liberty as we speak. And he writes, I applaud her for that. On a related note, I want to thank you for promoting the movie Unplanned. I saw this story unfold firsthand. I live uh, in that community in Texas and drive past the former clinic every day when I drive from work to the gym. I've been a fence sitter on abortion, knowing it was wrong, but believing that the issue was political poison and that the pragmatic thing to do was just simply to leave it alone. After seeing the movie, I see it now for what it is. 
and it's every bit the ugly stain on the integrity of our nation that slavery was. The thing that stuck with me, though, most in the movie, was the scene where Abby tells her husband that she's going to pray that if God wants her to get the job, she'll get the job. What a completely absurd, ridiculous thing to pray. And by the way, if you've seen the movie, her husband uh, it lets her know that that's an absurd and ridiculous thing to pray. But, he, but uh, the author of this note says, but God absolutely did want her to get that job, maybe just not in the way she thought at the time. The way that God works is truly beyond our comprehension. Like it says in Ephesians, immeasurably more than we can ask or even imagine. And to paraphrase Genesis 50, 20, what man meant for evil, God used for good and for his own glory. And my story is a testimony to that as well. And again, uh, at his request, we're protecting his name or withholding it to protect his privacy. So I thought that was a good and encouraging note uh, to end on. If you want to know, you know, these things and values that we're trying to conserve on shows like this uh, here at The Blaze and, and all throughout conservative media, you want to take a look at this trip that this Glenn Beck and several of the VIPs here at The Blaze are, are leading next year. It's called The Cruise Through History. You're going to sail through the Eastern Mediterranean, visit Italy, Croatia, Jerusalem, uh, Athens, Greece, explore the roots of Western civilization, walk where Jesus walked, explore Venice, the birthplace of commerce, tour Greece, the origin of the Republic and democracy. Uh, you can bring your children and grandchildren as well to share this amazing experience. Uh, if you want to get more information on details, it's next spring. So start planning now. Uh, if you want information on details and different packages, go to comesailaway.com. Now, there's going to be plenty of fun, too. All right, it's going to be nightlife, fine cuisine. You'll have some time to get down. All right, but this is also going to be fun with a purpose. All right, comesailaway.com, all one word. That's the website, comesailaway.com. Final thoughts, gentlemen, before we check out on a Friday. Yeah, that uh, that that last note is, uh, is incredibly encouraging, and uh, that's... That's part of, um, you know, other than, you know, stewarding this this uh, resource, this show, uh, this platform that God has entrusted to all three of us. Aside from that being a motivation, it's for for people like that who who share their stories. Um, you know, that helps us. <laughs> that helps us get through the uh, Cheeto Jesus saves Orange Man bad stuff that we talk yep. about on a daily basis, yep. and it's really encouraging. Thank you, thank you for sending that in. Well said, Todd. I'm struggling a lot these days with the. I, I you've heard me say we live in the time of the prophets. I mean, I I, I can see the the steps ahead of where the things and all. Particularly, like I said, when I, my regular life and the choices people are making and the things they're saying, the things they're doing, I know where it's going to go. It's no place good, and they don't have ears to hear. And so, this uh, math teacher nailed it. You keep looking, shake the dust from your feet, find the ones who are, your ears are even that much open, and spend your time with them. It, it, that might be all we can do. If it is, it's the best we can do. Uh, don't give up hope. Uh, keep fighting. Uh, it is the times have been way worse than the times we're living in now. As um, maddening as it often seems, uh, plow ahead, man. And as you did, brother, you're an inspiration. Yeah, that you know, you guys can't send us enough of those notes. We have gotten a lot of them uh, in in the last few months, and uh, they are. Um, they're at least as much encourage, encouragement to us because the whole Cheeto Jesus saves, orange man bad things, most days, if we didn't get along, would make you just not want to come in and do this, frankly. 
But the fact that for every hassle that is, we get to reach people like that and connect yes. with you makes it all worth it. Have a great weekend. John 317. This is Steve Dace. On the Blaze Radio Network. Oh, 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 o